0: from verse 1 right through verse 23. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, now that's 3 p.m., the day started at At 6 a.m., so if it's 9, it's 3 p.m., the ninth hour, okay? So 3 p.m. At about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him, and he said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God and now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. If you remember two weeks ago right before Mother's Day that's where we left off where uh, Peter was being prepped for this and he was ministering in the regions of Judea. Verse 6. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's noon. And he became hungry. And he was desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object, like a great sheet, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind uh, as to what the vision uh, which he had seen might be. Behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but arise, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he arose and went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Amen. We're going to stop right there. Uh, In this passage that we read, we have Uh, seen two visions, one given to Cornelius and the other given to Peter. And from these two visions, I want to talk about this idea of small things and following the will of God. Now, let me mention this at the outset. You'll notice here that God is active. I mean... He's doing things right. All throughout the book of Acts we've seen this. We've seen him direct his people to pray. We've seen uh, him direct the the surrounding society to persecute the church to scatter the disciples of Christ. We've seen angels being dispatched. We've seen voices being heard and God is so active in our passage and in of course this early church this narrative that we've been reading about. And it really reminds me, I mean, I don't know if you like movies, you know, if you're, if you're into that thing. But it reminds me of a director. Now, uh, a director is one who is so busy, of course, behind the scenes during the shoot. He never appears on camera. During the final shoot, whenever you go to the theater, the director is not, not up there, right? It's the actors that are up there. But the director is the one that during the shoot is always conscious of the entire storyline. Right? And so he's directing the individual scenes based on the picture that is unfolding from beginning to end as he sees it in his mind's eye. And he's, he's exerting direction and leadership through the shoot. And he's always taking into account the actor's personality, the nuances that they bring to the script, right, to the screenplay, right? And it reminds me that I see God, that He doesn't really appear on the screen, so to speak, right? You don't see God necessarily walking the streets. I mean, we did in the life of Jesus, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? And so God is a director that is really giving points, leadership, direction to us as His followers. And He takes into account who we are, our history. And He's directing this beautiful thing that's unfolding, And I see that here in our passage. He gives a vision to Cornelius. He gives a vision through this trance to Peter. And he's active. But what must be understood is that God is still active. It's not just active in biblical times and through the, the, the times of Abraham and Moses or the prophets or Peter and Paul. That God is active in our lives today. And so I ask you this question. Do you sense God's leadership in your life? That when you read the Bible, is there a voice that comes to you through it, giving you directions in your career or your personal life? Do you sense a, a prompting of God in your spirit? Because He's active. He wants to lead us even today. That He'll send angels, and I really believe that I've entertained angels without even knowing it. And I think we all have to a certain extent, right? He's leading us. He's guiding us. And so the first thing, major point that I say to you today is he who is faithful with small things will be given bigger things. This is a principle you'll find all throughout scripture. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want your faith to mature, you have to wrap your spirit around this truth. Uh, that as I look at our passage today just kind of peruse with me the first four verses of the chapter you know it's talking about this man uh, Cornelius of Caesarea and in verse 2 it says that he was a devout man Right, he feared God with his entire household and it says that he gave many alms that's offerings right Uh, free will offerings gifts to, to the people that were around him. And he gave uh, this uh, with, a, with a pure heart. Right? He gave these alms and he says he prayed to God continually. Right? And when it's talking about that, it's not just prayers in public when he's in these moments of corporate worship. This continual prayer is really talking about a character, a, a lifestyle that he led, that he, he prayed often, that he spoke to God and he knew that God spoke to him and one particular day now i don't think it was a special day right that god can choose any day and say this is the day that i choose to intervene and give you this message and for cornelius it was that day particularly on that ninth hour when he was praying right so he's praying and then uh, an angel comes to him in this vision and he speaks to him and he says this first your your alms and your prayers have arisen before God as a memorial. And from verse 4, what I get is that our devotion to God matters. That the acts of worship that we offer to the Lord, they actually matter to Him. That when we give devotion, it grabs His attention. Now, I want to make clear this, that the Christian life is based on grace. It grows from there. That good soil is grace soil. Right, Because if the seeds of the Christian life are planted in anything else but grace, nothing good can come out of it. Legalism. Trying to gain the approval of God through acts and, and, and goodwill and, 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 and kindness and trying to say, God, I've done this for you and so Lord, would you extend mercy to me. That anything be besides grace where the Christian life is grown that leads to, to bad places. And so the foundation of the Christian life is understanding that not by my merit, not by what I have done, but by what Christ has done. And when I accept that through grace and and I'm extended the mercy of God, that is the healthy soil where true fruit arises, where the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace and patience and so on. It grows. And so I want to make that clear. The Christian life is based on grace That if anyone ever tries to teach you that you need to gain the approval of God for salvation, you need to throw them the hand. You need to say, no way. That's not it. Because I know that I can never be good enough to gain that acceptance of a holy God. That I know that it must be His act towards me in which I can be considered in right standing before Him. The Bible is clear when it says we've all sinned and fall short of that mark of holiness. And so the Christian life is based on grace. But I also want to say this, that don't allow your Christian life to be void of sincere acts of worship. Yes, it's based on grace, and I don't need to do stuff to gain God's approval, but never fall into the other error of saying that acts of devotion are not important. Right? Because God accepts me by grace, and I can go on li- uh, with my life and know that it is not by doing right or wrong that I am saved. And for you to default to think that doing right acts, acts of devotion, are not important because they are. And what we see from here is that this angel appears to Cornelius and the first thing that he says is, your alms and your prayers have ascended before God as this memorial, meaning that he's seen it, he's remembering it. And I I can see God every time Cornelius, maybe he had a a habit on the ninth hour, 3 p.m. every single day he would go to his prayer slot, his corner, and there he would pray before God. And there was this consistent giving that he would give to those that were in need. And every time he would offer this help and and sacrificially give of himself, every time he would go to his corner and pray, I can see God just looking down upon that and saying, there's my boy, there's my boy. Keep on going. I like what you're doing. Now, it's it's not, of course, the basis of salvation. But what we see here is that the devotion of the child of God grabs the attention of God. That the acts that I can do in sincere worship, they're not meaningless. They don't just fall off uh, the side of the road and just don't have any fruit that... That when I, when, I, when I give of myself, when I pray that those things mean something to the Lord. His prayers ascended as this memorial. But the point here is that the one who's faithful with small things will be given bigger things. And, you know, don't we gravitate to bigger things? You know, I could have changed the, the size of the, the, the point of the font to make bigger things a lot larger on the screen. But I don't think I need to do that for you. Because I think you understand that, you know, the big things jump out at us, right? And those are the things that we want in our lives. We, we seek those advancements and those attainments and positions. The bigger things. We want to be given certain influence and responsibility. We want to be given bigger amounts of resources. And these bigger things God has at His disposal. The Bible's clear when it says that everything is by Him and through Him and to Him. That He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That He can open up the floodgates of heaven and pour down a blessing upon His people. That He has access to it all. The big things. But who does He give those big things to? Because as I think about Cornelius, if, if you really think about it, Cornelius was the gateway to the Samaritans. Right? Because as we've been reading the book of Acts, we've discussed this, that there was this master plan that God had. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jerusalem and Judea were a no-brainer, right? Because the Christians, the followers of Christ, being the first century Christian Jews, they, they started in Jerusalem. They would preach to their neighbors, their fellow countrymen, the Judeans. And Peter's ministry was going all about the regions of Judea. But that Gap from Judea to Samaria. We've talked about that, how difficult that gap was. The cultural divide, the generational divide, the history of hatred that they had for one another, their genuine dislike. And that was a a, a gap that was so hard to get over. We're talking about a, a segregation mindset to the umpteenth degree. We're talking about people that did not want to relate with one another. And so, if this gospel was going to go to the ends of the earth, that indicator of if it could cross the border from Judea into Samaria would be the great point in which would be the springboard for it really to go to all nations. And so, Cornelius is that gateway to the Samaritans. You know, it's, he's really how the church was converted in, in this particular aspect of accepting. The gospel going to Samaritans, Cornelius and his household, and this occurrence we'll find in our later reading in subsequent weeks that this was a major turning point for the first century church. That when the Holy Spirit was given to Cornelius and that gathered at his household that day, something happened in the, in the mind of the church leaders. That when they wrapped their minds around God was giving the Holy Spirit to these folks, suddenly everything opened up that God is surely behind this, that He's doing something. And so Cornelius has the honor, the distinction of being this gateway to the Samaritans. And I think that's a huge thing, right? That's a huge thing to be given this, this big honor, to be given that, that, that separation. And I don't think it was by accident I mean, you know, as God is thinking, I'm gonna bring my gospel from this city to this region, I'm gonna jump north and then it's gonna spread out. He's gonna unfold this plan through people. He used Peter to go from region to region, to, to pray for Aeneas or to to to, to pray and, and and for the resurrection of, of Tabitha, Dorcas that we read about. You know, he used Peter, he's used Stephan, he's used all of these people through this early church experience that we've been reading about. And so he's using people, and as he's unfolding this plan, he's thinking, how am I going to get to Samaria? Who am I going to choose for this honor? And he chooses Cornelius, because what he had done in his life, in the small areas, the the giving, probably when nobody was looking, the prayers that were so constant, a regular part of his life, when he thought about, how will I get this gospel? Or who will be that first family? Cornelius jumped out because the memorials that he remembered of him, that the devotion, all ascended to God. It meant something. that It, it didn't skip his mind. He didn't have to, to think, oh, who was that again? He knew, Cornelius, that's the family that I'd like to choose for this honor. And I think that's a significant thing. And so I ask you the question, do you want God to trust you with bigger things? Your career, a platform, in your family, personal life, do you want God to trust you with bigger things? If you answer yes to that question, there's no other way around it. That We must be faithful in the small things. That God gives big things to those who are faithful in small things. And we see it in a number of parables in the Gospels, and he uses the analogy of money. and he gives a certain amount of money to different slaves or stewards, and he entrusts it to them, and those that were faithful with the amount that they were given were given more. And he uses this platform to say that he was faithful with the little will be given much more. It's a principle all throughout the Bible. And we'll find that. And so if we want to be faithful, if we want to have a larger platform in our careers, we need to be faithful in the small positions and tasks and duties that we're given now. If we want to have more wealth and resources down the line, we need to be faithful with the, with the small amount that we were given now. If we want to be faithful and, and have a lot more relationships and influence, we need to be faithful with the relationships now if we want our children to do many things in their future, we need to be faithful with their lives and raising them now. That what we do in the small moments now that matters to God, because He's looking at all of that and He's taking note. It's writing it down as a memorial. And it's, oh, it's coming up to me. It's this fragrance. And He sees and He hears all of that. And He feels it. And He knows it. He remembers it. That we must be faithful in those small areas. It's the small things that matter. The patience when no one saw. The generosity that no one noticed. The love that was taken for granted. The prayer that was offered in the closet. That when we are faithful in these things, God takes notice. And He gets up. And He gets ready to use us. Second point he who desires the will of god will be used by him we want a lot of things in life i think right and i think if we have a, a heart and we're breathing you know there are desires that bubble up inside that we want to eat something on a very kind of rudimentary level we want to attain something we want to go somewhere we want to have somebody we want to and we want these things And there are desires in our heart every single day. But if there were to be an overarching desire that informs all of the sub-desires, if there were to be a canopy desire, if there were to be this overarching umbrella of desire, it must be a desire to say, God, in however form it is or unfolding, I desire for your will in my life that I have these career paths, these relational choices, I have these things that I can attain, and I have all of these options that are before me, and I might not know which is the absolute best, but as I make plans and as I walk this life, I I want your will to unfold. Just a sincere desire for the will of God to unfold. That he who desires the will of God will be used by Him. I look at Cornelius going back to verse uh, 4, you know. This angel appears and the first thing he noticed, it's definitely a messenger of God because his response is, what is it, Lord? You can almost sense this openness in his heart, this willingness in his attitude. And what I see here is a man who clearly had a history of saying yes to God. And after verse 4, he's saying, what is it, Lord? There's more detailed instruction, right? Send people to this city called Joppa and ask for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying at this particular house by the sea and he's unfolding this direction. And he's saying, I want you to bring him to you because he's got a message for you. Right? So he's giving more detailed destruction instruction after this willingness of heart. And it goes down in the second vision that we read about, the vision of Peter. You know I see Peter as a man who is also open to the heart of God, to the will of God, from verse nine, the next day, as they were on their way, those servants that were dispatched and approaching the city, we see that Peter was uh, hungry it 's lunchtime right and we 're all hungry at that time at noon, and he 's going up to the rooftop and he 's there and he 's wanting something to eat and people are busy in the kitchen they 're making food, and so he 's on the rooftop and he 's praying and in this time, this trance uh, just comes over him and this vision of this large sheet pinned by four corners is descending from heaven and on this platform are all of these animals, these crawling creatures and birds, right? And uh, all of these animals as he's looking upon them, he's thinking one thing. Number one, I'm hungry. Number two, I can't eat that, right? Because if you think about it, I mean, have you ever gone to Costco or the market when you're hungry? I mean, I mean, saltine crackers look that good. I mean, if you go to Costco when you're hungry and they have those tasters, those little little stations. Oh, I love that you just do that circle around twice, you know, and you pretend you're giving one to somebody else. And you say, oh, and and then you, you down both of them. Right. And so when we go shopping, when we're hungry, when we're around food, when we're hungry, we're thinking, can I eat that? That's what we're thinking. And so Peter's hungry. He's on the rooftop and he sees animals. And so immediately he's thinking, can I eat that? He's making this decision in his mind. right? And as he sees the types of animals that are on this sheet, he says to himself, I cannot eat that. Because there was this law of God that was given previous to say what you should and should not eat. These were the dietary laws of the Jewish nation. And so all the animals on this sheet were off limits. They weren't the ones that you could eat. They were ungosher. And then this voice comes out. Peter, get up. I want you to kill those animals and eat. And immediately he, he's thinking, no, no, God, wait a minute. I want to be faithful. You've already told us and instructed us not to eat these things. And so I, I can't eat that. And what I see here is Peter being faithful to what he knew at that moment. right? Because at that moment, God didn't change the dietary laws. And so he's looking at animals that were off limits by God's standard. And so he gives the right response. I don't think that's a, a bad response. That's not this doubtful response because he was only acting and trying to be faithful to what he knew at that time. And so he says, no. I can't even dare to eat that. And the voice comes again, what I have cleansed, don't consider unholy anymore. And that happened three times. And what I see here is that Peter was willing to pivot. He was willing to take his current faith that he knew of God and when God was doing something fresh, when he was doing something new, when he was saying, no longer, meaning you were right to consider it unholy before, but at this moment I no longer want you to consider it holy because I'm cleansing it. And if I have cleansed it, don't consider it off limits, unholy anymore. And Peter was an individual here that was faithful to the faith that he knew of, but willing and open to the the will of God. Willing to pivot and hear from the Lord, and I see that as a wonderful thing in the life of Peter. And after this trance and this vision goes away, there's a, a knock at the front gate of the house, right? And they're asking for this man, and you know Peter's still on the rooftop, oblivious to what's happening, because probably just a servant of the house went to the front gate to open the uh, to, to see who was there, and Peter's still on the rooftop, right? And as he's on the rooftop, a voice comes out: "Behold, Peter." There's three people. I mean, you kind of line it up. The vision three times, three men. I mean, God's clearly trying to send a message here, right? What you're seeing now is linked to the people that are at the gate. That's why I showed it to you three times. There's three guys there. They're looking for you. And I want you, without any misgivings, I want you to follow them. So Peter goes down. I'm the guy you're looking for. Come on in. And where we're going to pick up next time is the actual encounter with Cornelius, and how amazing this narrative is unfold- how it's unfolding. And we see in Cornelius, and we also see in Peter an openness, a willingness, an attitude that just affirmed the will of God, desired the will of God. And it is to those individuals that God taps on the shoulder and says, "I'm going to use you, you're ready." You're positioned. You've prepared your heart. I begin to close. You guys can come back. I I close with two things. The first is... Whatever you need to do to maintain a yes attitude in your heart. This attitude that is... Have you ever dealt with somebody that was always inclined to say no first? You know, It didn't matter what it was that you asked for. No. Right? It was always kind of like in the negative, right? But in your faith to God, that as you kind of perk up in your heart... And as you expect God to to lead and direct you, have this forward-leaning, just eagerness and attitude in your heart that is willing, that is just inclined to say yes to Him. Why do I say that? Because God will bring opportunities and decisions before us that are both not easy and unnatural right because if you think about Cornelius and what's happening to him and Peter here these are all unnatural and not easy things right you know you wouldn't expect that. that's like coming way out of left field i mean that's just out of nowhere wait god you've had a history here generations have eaten this way and all of a sudden today this afternoon you're saying i can eat differently i mean that's got to throw a curveball For Cornelius to send a delegation of people and say, I got a guy over there in the middle of nowhere that you don't even know who he is and what house he's staying at. But I want you to send your most trusted people and bring him to your house because he's going to say something to you. That's an unnatural thing. But there is this inclination in their hearts that said yes to the Lord. That It didn't matter how unnatural it seemed or how difficult it was. It was this desire to say, "Okay, God, I'm here. I'm ready and I know you want to lead me. That's the first thing. Just have this inclination that says yes to the Lord. And the second would be this. That we need to be faithful in those kind of small, unseen moments. Those areas that, you know, I wrote this in my the, the pastor's note on the inside of the bulletin today. Actually, I'll finish off by reading that. Nowadays, it's, Much easier to curate our our public image because we get to decide what our friends see in our feeds and profiles. But we all know that there's so much more to our days than what gets posted on social media. Only the words and pictures that support this desired reputation get published and the unflattering ones are sent to dire, so we hope. Our smartphones are never far away when we need to capture these moments and we feed the internet what it wants because we want what it can give back. Notoriety. We post these moments because we, can get no- we want to get noticed and likes and view counts have become a way to satiate this appetite. But I'd like to take a moment to talk about the other moments. The ones that no one sees or knows about. The little decisions we make. The faint words we utter. The small gifts we give. It's these small things that God takes notice of. And let's be focused on the small things that God applauds not the big ones that the internet clamors over. I admonish you in that way. Let's be faithful in those small unseen areas. Amen.